You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Hello, my name is Lynn, and today's reading is from Psalm 139. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. It's written to the choir master, a Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. In your book were written every one of them in the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Excellent. (laughs) Lynn says it's one of her favorites, too. (laughs) Let's pray as we dig into this together, okay? God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've just revealed to us that you know us, and it makes it all the more incredible, God, that you love us. And we pray that as we study this psalm, you would transform us to not only be joyfully aware that you know us, but that we would be people who joyfully seek 
you searching our hearts and revealing them to us. We would joyfully be people who want to share the real us with others. We need you to come and to transform us for that to happen, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to talk about toddlers for a second <laughs> as I get started. Because one of the things that's so wonderful about toddlers, and you'll see how this relates to the psalm, is that they're kind of like adults without a filter. You know what I mean? When my kids were really little, I used to think about this all the time. Kind of like adults without a filter. They, uh, their reactions to the world around them are far more honest than most adults' reactions are, right? Because if, if a toddler is happy, you know they're happy, right? Because what are they doing? They're jumping up and down and they're screaming and shouting, which if we're honest, that's what we want to do when we're happy too, right? And when they're angry, what are they doing? They're jumping up and down and screaming and shouting, except for, for a different reason this time. <laughs> and in a different way, their face might be turning red. They might clench their whole body, right? Toddlers tend to do that or like bang on the floor, which if we're honest, right? That's what we want to do when we're angry too. And another way that toddlers are like unfiltered adults is when they have been disobedient. Have you ever encountered this? You might, you, you might uh, discover something that, that your toddler did or that someone's toddler that you're watching did, and you say, Joey, and you kind of look him in the eye and you say, Joey, did you pull the bag of cheese out of the fridge and dump all the shredded cheese all over the floor? And Johnny kind of looks at you and he's like this, right? You say, Johnny, that's not helpful. <laughs> we, we, we need the cheese to stay in the bag, Johnny. Or did I say Johnny? Joey. Joey's his name. Okay, sorry. Jo you're like, who did, who's Johnny? Joey. Joey. Uh, yeah, he could be Johnny too if you want. Uh, Joey, uh, the cheese needs to stay in the bag, okay? And he kind of nods at you and you say, just to be sure, I'm asking you, Joey, not to do that again, okay? If you need some cheese... Come to me and I will get some cheese for you. Is that okay? Joey kind of nods his head and you go, oh, wow, that was great. Okay, it all worked out. Uh, I, I kind of need to go to the bathroom, so you run to the bathroom and you come back out and what do you find? You find the cheese on the floor in a big pile, right? And what is not right next to that cheese? <laughs> Joey, right? Joey is nowhere to be found. Where did he go? You know exactly where he went because it's where he always goes when something like this happens. He's up in his room, like in the corner or in a closet, and he's, he's hiding. He's sinned, and he's broken that relationship with you, and he knows it, and so he's fled from your presence. And this is like an unfiltered adult, just like the thing that I was talking about with Toddlers being happy or angry, right? This is like an unfiltered adult because as one theologian puts it, the impulse to flee from God's presence is as old as the fall. Just like a disobedient child, we try to hide from God. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden, if you will, right? You know that story, Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us before sin entered the world, they had this... Uh, unhindered intimacy with God and with one another. 
completely open, completely free, completely known. They, it says that they were naked and they were unashamed. So they were fully known by God and they were fully known by one another and they had absolutely nothing to hide. But after that, after they disobeyed God, after they ate the fruit, it said the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Obviously, God isn't asking that question for himself. He's asking it for Adam. God knows where he is. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So think about this for a second. How well, how effective were these fig leaves at hiding Adam and Eve from God? Were they very useful? Or, or how about you kind of picture them hiding behind a tree, for example? How helpful, how effective do you think that was at Adam and Eve hiding from God? Was it hard for God to find them there? Adam and Eve were like Joey the toddler. They were trying to hide the truth about who they were and what they had done. They were covered in shame and guilt. But can we even hide from God? Should we even try? And if we can't, what's what's our alternative? These are the questions that Psalm 139 answers. And it does uh, more than just prove that God knows us fully. It actually helps us to see that we are fully known by God, and so we have nothing to hide. We are fully known by God. And so we have nothing to hide. And so we're going to look at the psalm in these two parts. We're fully known by God. And then later on we'll look at, so we have nothing to hide. And as we look at the fact that we are fully known by God, we're going to split this up into three different points. The first is that God knows all that we say and do. We saw this in verses 1 through 6 where it said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. That's, that's a sign of love. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So God searches us, this says, and he knows us, and he knows everything about us, whether it's good or bad, whether it's right or wrong, whether uh, it's something that we think, whether it's something we feel or say or do. Everything about us is known by God. It says he searches out our path, which is another way of describing The fact that he sees how we live. He knows all of our ways. He even knows what we will say before we say it. 
And the word that theologians use to describe this, this way that God knows is it's God's omniscience. Can you say that with me? Omniscience. Meaning that he knows everything. Not in the sense that teenagers know everything. So amen, teenagers? Very differently from how you know everything. God actually knows all. Everything that is obviously seen, everything that seems to be hidden, all that we say, all that we do, even why we do it, even when we don't know why we have done something, God knows why. Even when we act without fully thinking it through, amen, do you ever do that? You ever uh, uh, do something without thinking about it, like you're on autopilot, amen? I'm guessing most of us here actually probably live on autopilot most of the time. We just simply don't think before we act. We don't often evaluate our desires either. We don't often consider what desires right now in my heart are driving my actions. You ever do something and you, and you didn't even know why you did it? that it it required very intense self-reflection or some kind of outside help or some kind of prayer for you just to understand why, what was going on. You know, most of the counseling industry exists because this is true, right? Because we don't understand why we do things or why we desire things. And so someone says something rude to you and you react to that in such a way that you didn't think it through. You might say something rude back. Why? You don't know why. God knows why. Or maybe you're stuck in a cycle of anxiety or you're experiencing panic attacks and you don't know why, but God knows why. Or perhaps you place all of your hopes and your dreams in this job or in this relationship and you just don't know why. God knows why. One of the most embarrassing examples of this for me that I'm going to share with you now is a a time when a friend of mine got us into a show at the Moore Theater, and he and I had both seen this artist together before, but this time they were playing with a musician friend of my friend's, and, and so... He got us in, and he got us in backstage. We got to you know, have a glass of wine with the band in the green room, and we're hanging out, and it was a great time. But some of the people who were playing in the band that night were kind of my musical heroes, okay? So you might know where this is going. I was a little bit starstruck as we're hanging out back there. And as the band was preparing to go out onto the stage, I stopped them and tried to have a conversation with them. Now, keep in mind, these are super introverted, artsy musicians who really have their minds set on a big show that they're about to play, not on some nobody in their green room, right? And, and needless to say that this was one of the most awkward moments of my whole life, <laughs> this interaction that I had. It was a little bit like if you ever saw on SNL, I think it was in like the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Chris Farley, the, the comedian, he had this pretend talk show that he would do with these stars that would come on SNL. It was called the Chris Farley Show. And there's this one time when Paul McCartney is on there and, and he's interviewing Paul McCartney and he's like sitting there like nervously and he, and he says, hey, remember when you were with the Beatles? 
And, and Paul McCartney's like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He goes, that was awesome. <laughs> That's like all he could do. It was a little bit like that, but in my case, the not-so-funny thing was that I hadn't given any thought about that night in advance. I didn't give any thought to how I might act or what I was going to say or what my desires were going into it. I was on autopilot. Even when we don't understand why, God does. It said he was acquainted with all our ways. He knows. He knows. And more than that, God's loving presence transcends space. It says here in verses 7 through 12 that he searches us out and he exposes the truth about us no matter where we go. So that's the next thing we're going to look at. God's knowledge transcends space. Verses 7 to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Again, another sign of God's love. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So this asks the question, where shall I flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. (laughs) Nowhere. And, And when God's presence is talked about in the Bible, it's usually looked at from two different angles. The first and most common meaning of God's presence is God's relational presence. So this is referring to the manner in which he devotes himself to his people. Many places in the Bible use language like God makes his face to shine upon us. That's talking about the way that his relational presence is a blessing to us who know him. God is uniquely present in the lives of those who love him and those who welcome him. And for those who don't, they're still subject to God's utter knowledge of of them and who they are and all that they do, but they're not blessed by his loving relationship. So that's one, God's relational presence. But the second aspect of God's presence refers to the place where he is. And because he is present everywhere, theologians call this God's omnipresence. You guys say that with me? Omnipresence. And so the psalmist says that he could go to heaven and God would be there, but he could also go down to Sheol and God would be there too. Now you guys are like, what the heck is Sheol? And that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Sheol is it's a little bit like Jewish purgatory, okay? Uh, it's not quite hell, but it's also definitely not heaven either. So he's saying, no matter where I go, I can go to the utter heights or the depths, God is going to be there. And then the psalmist imagines being blown by the wind, taken by the wings of the morning, it said, to the the most remote parts of the ocean. But God's relational presence and his omnipresence are still there. God's knowledge of us And his love 
for us are not bound by space because he is not bound by space. But maybe the psalmist thinks, maybe I could shroud myself in darkness. Perhaps he's thinking about sinning behind closed doors or deep in the night. Maybe you have done this same exercise. You've thought, hmm, maybe, maybe if I went to this place, maybe then God wouldn't see what I'm doing. But as the psalmist toys with this possibility and this sort of what-if scenario, he concludes, no. No, even there, God sees the things that are hidden. Even the things that are in darkness cannot quench the light of God's knowledge. God transcends space. His knowledge transcends space. But more than that, God's knowledge transcends time. Verses 13 through 18 described this to us. They said, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Don't tell God what he did was a mess up, is what this is telling us. God made you. Wonderful are his works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Now, Before we look at how God's knowledge transcends time, I actually want to zoom in for just a minute on verses 13 through 14. So if we can go back to those for a second, thanks. And the reason why I want to zoom in on these verses is because for our modern Western culture, these are some of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Most important verses in the entire Bible. Let me tell you why. Because we are inclined to believe Being shaped by our culture, we are inclined to believe that who we are, our humanity, our identity, we're inclined to believe that these things are created by us. So much so that humanity, as it's defined in our culture, it's a moving target. It's constantly being up for grabs. It's constantly changing. We are being taught by our culture to believe that what we are as human beings, what we are as our identity is something that is created from within us, not from without us. It's something that comes in, uh, from a feeling, something that is internal to each one of us rather than something that is outside of us giving that meaning and that purpose and that identity. So much so that we believe, we, we believe this in our culture so much so, this idea that we can et- uh, create from within, that I can be one thing one moment and another thing the next. In fact, the idea that we create ourselves from within is the whole premise behind these modern concepts of sexual identity and gender identity. These things come from the belief that we create ourselves rather than God. It's even 
the idea that undergirds our culture's widespread support of abortion. Because if, in a sense, we create ourselves, then an unborn child, well, they're just tissue. They're just tissue. They're not yet fully human. But this psalm has a very different message. God, through this psalm, has a very different message. This is telling us that God gives life. Amen? God gives life. It's saying that He sovereignly weaves human beings together even inside their mother's wombs. It's saying that God is miraculously and intimately involved in the process of conception. It's saying that He chooses when an egg is fertilized and when it's not. It's saying He knows the lifespan of each and every person who has ever been born and each and every person who has not made it to birth. He knows. Every human life is supremely valuable to God. And so every human life must be supremely valuable to us. Amen? Amen. And that isn't just as we look at at others. It, It should also be as we look at ourselves. And so we must see those who are voiceless and who are vulnerable as valuable. We must see those even who don't agree with God's Uh, definition of a human being or agree with God's uh, being the one who gives us identity, we must see them as valuable, just as God sees them. And so is our humanity created by us or by God? You know, when you kind of lay it out that way, it becomes a a lot more ludicrous to imagine that we can somehow create ourselves. We know that we didn't create ourselves. We don't have that ability. I mean, sure, our parents had something to do with it, right? (laughs) But, But even then, we also know that in the end, it's an act of God. And so who we are as human beings... Where we find our identity, it's not coming from within. It's not internal, it's external. It doesn't come from within, but from without. It's also not subjective, meaning that it can change on, based on how we feel. It is objective, because God has determined it. So don't ever for one second think that your life doesn't matter. I know some of you have thought that. What do you hear me say that so clearly today? Don't for one second think that your life doesn't matter. You are here because God put you here. Now, through life's struggles, you may doubt His decision to keep you here. But when you do, don't look from within. Look from without. Look to Him for your identity, for your dignity, for your value. How does any of this relate to God knowing us? Well, the incredible thing about God is that He not only stands outside the bounds of space as we looked at, He also stands outside the bounds of time. His knowledge has no end. He knows the beginning and the end of all time, but he also knows the beginning and end of each of our days here on earth. 
Last week in the psalm that Pastor David did such a great job of preaching in Psalm 90, it, it said in that psalm, teach us to number our days. But this week, we see that God has kind of, in a sense, already done that. That before we were born, he saw our unformed substance, that in his book were written all the days that he formed for us. And so who has the right to determine who we are? He does. The one who gives us life. The one who knows the number of our days. So I hope you can see so clearly as this psalm teaches us, we are fully known by God. And on the one hand, that is such good news, isn't it? It is so good. So good because the greatest longing of the human heart is to know God fully and to be fully known. So that is such good news. But there's also a problem with this. There's also a problem with the fact that we are fully known by God. And the psalm kind of reveals it in a, in a bit of a roundabout way. Here's what I mean. The psalm reveals to us that God is opposed to evil. Verses 19 through 22 stated this very clearly. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent, speaking again to the Lord. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? <laughs> Whoa. Now, these words are really teetering on the brink of curses. And psalms that contain curses against enemies, they're called imprecatory psalms. Kind of a big word. Will you guys say that one with me? Imprecatory psalms. And we're going to actually dig into an imprecatory psalm in just a couple of weeks, and we're going to go deep, okay? Uh, today, we're not going to cover that very, very much in depth. So just, I want you to stay tuned and look forward to a time where we really explore the imprecatory psalms because they're, they're all over the place when you read the psalms, and they can be super confusing and difficult for us to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I just talked to Jason about that a few weeks ago. And so we'll look at imprecatory psalms, but why do these curses appear here? Were any of you guys thinking of that when, when Lynn was reading the psalm to us earlier? You're like, what the? What? It kind of appears out of left field, doesn't it? Well, David, the psalmist here, he's merely trying to show how much he loves God and how much he wants to be close to God. Part of intimacy with God is loving what God loves and hating what God hates, including evil. But remember a minute ago, I told you that this is a problem for us. Why? Why is this a problem? Because we are all sinners. We all have evil inside of us. We all do evil things. And this is bad news because we can't hide it. We are fully known by God. You guys thinking, man, where can I get some of those fig leaves, right? Where's a tree where I could hide behind like Adam and Eve? How do, seriously, though, how do we remedy this situation? 
How do we remedy the fact that God fully knows us, he's opposed to evil, and we participate in evil? Where can we run and hide? And the answer is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can run to Jesus and hide in Jesus, the Bible teaches us. In him, we are offered total forgiveness, total cleansing, total love, total security. See, because God searches us out and and he finds us no matter where we go, we can't run away from his presence. Instead, we need our relationship to his presence to be transformed. And that transformation happens through Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 describes the gospel story about how Jesus lived, how he died, and how he rose and ascended into heaven, and it connects us in to that story. It says, if you have been raised with Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, this is for Christians, seek the things that are above, that's in heaven where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth, for you have died. If you're a Christian, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amazing transformation. Now our relationship to the presence of God has been mended and been made new and been made whole. Jesus lived a perfect life free from the evil of sin. And so in him we find life. And he died in order to put our sin to death. And so in him we die. And he rose to bring us to God. And so in him we are raised to God. And so now we can bring our whole self to God. All that we are. We don't need to run. We don't need to hide. We don't need to fear God exposing even the most vulnerable parts of our lives. We don't need to hide from God. We get to hide in God. And so our lives are hidden in the safety of Jesus, which brings us to the end of the psalm. We said earlier, uh, we are fully known by God so we have nothing to hide. Verses 23 through 24 show us how we can experience this, live this out. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, put me on trial, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And don't just, don't just spot it, God. Don't just point it out. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your ways. Help me find life on your path. We have nothing to hide. But if we have nothing to hide, why should we ask God to search us? You ever thought about that? Why is this psalmist asking God to search him if God already knows? And the answer is, to expose what needs to change. God doesn't search us so that he can find something that he didn't already see. He already knows. He already saw it. There's nothing that he doesn't see. The searching isn't for his benefit. It's for ours. We invite him to search us so that he can reveal the true us to us. John Calvin 
great reformer, he says, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. Counselor friend of mine who kind of riffs on this guy named Rich Plass says, we do not find our true self by seeking it, rather we find it by seeking God. And so we need the God who knows us better than we know ourselves to show us ourselves, to expose the parts of our lives that are grievous, like it said here. Things that harm us, things that harm other people, things that are idolatrous or or living for worshiping someone or something other than God. In other words, we invite him to expose the parts of our hearts that we would rather, if it were up to us, we'd rather just shroud it in darkness. We'd rather cover it in those fig leaves. And we invite him not just to reveal these things to us, but to actually remove them, to lead us in the way everlasting. Earlier I told you that story of how I embarrassed myself backstage at that concert. You guys remember that? Anyone forget already? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and after that event was over, even later that night, but, but especially in the days that followed, I realized that whatever was going on with me when I was on autopilot, It was something that I actually really needed God to reveal to me, because I didn't know. I hadn't gone into that night thinking through what I was going to do and what was going on in me. I needed God to now, after the fact, expose me to me. I needed the Holy Spirit, uh, what what He did, he, He kept prompting me to stop. Stop what I was doing and just kind of pause. Invite him to search my heart. And so because of Jesus, because my life is hidden in him, my shame over how I had behaved and my guilt over it, that didn't lead me to run from God. It actually led me to run to him. So I did. I spent some time next few days just kind of in self-reflection and in prayer and I journaled, and I, and I listened, and I prayed out loud, and I, and I listened, and through the Spirit's presence with me, I realized, in retrospect, of course, after the fact, I realized that I had wanted these musical heroes of mine to like me. Can I confess that to you guys? I just wanted them to like me. And I was willing to sacrifice awkwardness in order to get their attention, And though I hadn't given tons of thought to how I would act that night beforehand, though I hadn't thought through what my desires were or what I thought I should say before that show, unlike me, God knew in advance. He knew everything about what I would do and why I would do it. And he helped me to see these grievous ways within me. And so there were areas of guilt that he forgave and he cleansed, things like idolizing people and their opinions. There were areas of shame and embarrassment that he healed, things like the embarrassment over how I had behaved, so much so that I can actually tell you guys this story without shame. Praise God. He, he reoriented my heart to walk in his ways rather than my own. There were things that he did like teaching me 
now to be more self-aware, be more aware of my own heart before God, before I enter into situations like this. You can't always do that, but sometimes you can. Sometimes you can prayerfully prepare your heart in advance, and you can work things out with the Spirit. And there are a lot of different ways that you could apply Psalm 139. I'm just giving you one way that God has worked in my life through this. What I want you to take away is that we are fully known by God, so we have nothing to hide. And some of you guys are in a community group. If you're not, uh, encourage you later on in the service, we'll have a connect QR code. You can connect with us. We're going to start up some new community groups through uh, disciple equip groups in the next few weeks. We'd love to have you get involved with that. But for those of you who are in a community group and for those of you who are still working through questions this summer, a couple questions. And and if you're not, just use these for some self-reflection. What are some things that you've sought to hide from others or God? We know you can't do it. We know we can't do it. We can't hide, so why would we? Maybe it's something that's, there's some sin in your life, but we also know that brokenness is more than sin. Perhaps it's some sin that was committed against you, some way in which someone harmed you, some way in which you are vulnerable, and you just want to keep that protected. What have you sought to hide from God or others? What does God's loving knowledge of you change about how you relate to Him? It should transform us. We should feel so free because God knows us and He still loves us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for this truth. God, we we do confess that we live oftentimes as though we can hide from you. And it's just such a good reminder that we can't. We shouldn't. We should run to you instead. I pray, God, that each person here, whether they knew you before today or not, would run to you, find themselves in you, look to you for their humanity, for their identity, And feel secure in you because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray that we would just get to celebrate that right now together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.